Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ah, I missed something. Okay, um, part two to yesterday's video. So go watch that. Devil fruit questions that you would ask Dr. Vegapunk. That's right. You specifically would ask Dr. Vegapunk. But there was one question I left off, and I even wrote it down. I wrote it down on the list. It's right here. I missed it, and that was a question that I actually wanted to explore quite a bit because I thought of this crazy idea that might actually hold some water right now. Whatever. The question is, awakened fruits that affect various islands in the Grand Line. Now, this is a discussion that has been addressed many times before this, okay? So I'm not going to go through the basic stuff. I feel like you guys understand that at that point, you know? Like, look at Punk Hazard after the battle between Aokiji and Akainu. Obviously, that warped the island's geography, the weather. You know, Raijin Island probably was a former user of Eneru's Goro Goro no Mi. Okay, okay. But now, I want you to pay attention to this, because this is something that might actually make sense, okay? Might actually make sense. You know, Eni's Lobby is an island that has been uh, the focus of a lot of debate and theorizing in the One Piece community for a very long time, and for good reason. It makes no damn sense. I mean, even by One Piece standards, you gotta admit, Eni's Lobby is a little weird, okay? An island that has perpetual lightning bombarding it, like rain, yeah, okay, I can buy that, sure. An island that's just filled with fire? Yeah, fine, why not? An island that is suspended over seemingly a bottomless abyss, defying the laws of gravity itself, while on top of that has a constant stream of sunlight coming down. It never rains, it never storms, the clouds don't even approach it. Even during the worst storm of the year, Aqua Laguna, which is essentially this massive thunderstorm that causes this huge wave to hit Water 7. So, you know, the, the clouds come in except this one point, this one point on the ocean where the clouds just cannot approach and the sun just shines down on Eni's Lobby, which is the judiciary island of the world government. It was bombed into oblivion because of Spondum during the events of the Ennis Lobby arc. That was two years ago. I assume it has probably been rebuilt by then, or at least the process of being rebuilt right now. Now, like I said, a lot of theorizing goes into that place. I believe O'Hara, in one of his big videos, talked about how the One Piece itself is at the bottom of that giant hole, okay? Which would be funny to me. It's just like, alright, everybody, let's backtrack back to the Grand Line. Or, or maybe it's the hole that goes all the way down, and you just go back up, and then he's like, oh, okay, now we're, we pop 
pop back up in Annie's lobby. That would be interesting, okay? Um, there was other theories revolving around the awakened user of Kizaru's fruit, the Pika Pika Nomi, right? So that the awakened user of the Pika Pika might have had some power to allow it to constantly have a light over the island. Um, also, you got Fujitora's Zushi Zushi Nomi, the gravity fruit, because it seems like this uh, island is suspended over this bottomless void. And is it really bottomless? You know, that's a thing. And also, another question I had was, why would the government build their judiciary island there? It is one of the three most important islands that the government has in paradise, okay? Or three locations, because they're not all islands. So Henny's Lobby is an island, uh, although there's a lot of man-made structures there. And then there's Impel Down, which is completely man-made, uh, probably through slave labor and fishmen and everything like that, but man-made. And then you have Marine Ford, which... Honestly, was Marine Ford an island or was it like a floating like base for the Marines? I never got that really because it was mentioned it wasn't directly like on the red line because you have to go past Marine Ford to get to the actual red line, which is where the red port is. Um, and Whitebeard was kind of like shaking the island. I think it was an island. I think it was just an island that was really close to the red line. And I think they added a lot of like they added the retaining walls and the bay to it and everything because it was the Marine HQ back then. So, yeah, I think it was just a normal island that they just added a lot of stuff to. OK, but whatever. I'm getting off to the topic here. I'm going off on a tangent. That's not important. Okay, what's important is why would they pick that location, an island that is hovering over seemingly a bottomless abyss? You think like at any given moment, you know, that island could just fall apart, you know, or do you really put that much faith in this floating island that it will always be floating above this void? I would be terrified. I'd be scared shitless to live in Annie's lobby, right? It'd be like, imagine you're in the One Piece world and your dad works for the world government or something. It's like, all right, son, well, it's time for us to move. He's like, oh, where are we going? Well, I got a promotion. I'm going to be working at Annie's lobby from now on. And you walk in and you get an apartment building and it's like right over the edge. Like you can look out your window and see this endless pit that just goes straight down to hell as far as you know. And you'd be like, you would develop a fear of heights immediately, okay? Constantly, right? Be afraid of falling over this damn thing, all right? So why would they build an important military structure there? Luffy has the sun god fruit right now, right? You see where I'm going with this, okay? By the way, I did a search. I don't think anybody else came up with this, but here's the thing. Anytime I'm talking about something involving the One Piece treasure or any, like, major mystery in the One Piece world, like, Annie's Lobby is the focus of a lot of that, I'm always afraid that somebody somewhere on the internet has probably already posited this, and I can't check, like, every little nook and cranny, so I apologize if someone else has already thought of this, but I, I just, like, I just thought of it yesterday, like, when I wrote this list down, and I just forgot to bring it up, okay? But, Luffy has a sun god fruit, alright? And he's awakened the sun god fruit, right? So, let's say a former user of his fruit, maybe Joy Boy, because he's the only other user. We, we're led to believe that Joy Boy had the fruit and he awakened it during the Void Century. Other people have had the Gamu Gamu no Mi or, you know, the, you know, Hito Hito no Mi model Nika. People have had that since then, but they've never really done much with it, uh, nor have they ever awakened it. It really just goes Joy Boy and then nobody awakened it until Luffy. Okay, so let's say Joy Boy have it. He awakened it during 
this epic war between the Clan of D and the world government. The ancient kingdom was probably part of the Clan of D, I'm assuming. And this battle took place on Eni's lobby, okay? And so, because it was awakened, and because of, like, the fact it's a sun god fruit... Now, I know Luffy has yet to show that ability yet, but he just awoke, like, in the last few chapters, so... I'm just saying, if there's any fruit out there that might have the potential to create an endless sunshine down on one island in particular, I would say it would either be the Pika Pika Nomi, which is Kizaru's fruit, or it would be the literal sun god fruit that might have that capability, alright? Also, going beyond just the fact that it's sun, like constantly sunny around Annie's lobby, it's also suspended over this giant hole. In almost a doesn't make any sense physically and sort of cartoony fashion. You see where I'm going with this, right? Because it really defies physics. It's like this this island is suspended by just like a little piece of land that goes over the ocean, and then the majority of the island, like 95% of it, is just hovering over this pit. So I'm like, that is silly, that is ridiculous ridiculous like something out of a cartoon or something so so what if joy boy had this big epic battle with the world government right there at where where any's lobby would eventually be maybe it was just a regular island back then maybe it was just an empty spot in the ocean for all we know right and joy boy used some really powerful technique while he was awakened in the sun god form and this ultimate technique, which might very well become Luffy's strongest technique. I know Luffy used, you know, here comes the giant fist once again against Kaido in the last chapter. And that's a really devastating attack. But I don't think it's going to be the apex of Luffy's skills. I think there's going to be a lot more stuff that Luffy can utilize with Gear 5th that, you know, he just hasn't worked out yet because he just awakened. You know, in the context of One Piece, it's only been like, what, like 10, 15 minutes he's been in this new form, if that. So, you know, he's got to work with this and come up with some new ideas but if he is a sun god he might have abilities that involve the sun all right and so yeah you could say it's, it's the awakened user of the pika pika nomi or the awakened user of the gravity fruit but if you want to wrap it all nice in a package and a you know bow around it that makes perfect sense it's there was an ultimate technique that joy boy used utilizing the ridiculous cartoony nature of the sun god fruit that you know, he used this attack, it created a giant hole, so that was like maybe the attack was a laser beam or some shit, I don't know, that caused a permanent hole in the ocean, defying physics, which is what Luffy's fruit does, okay? Defying the very nature of physics creates a hole, the water goes down into the hole, it never fills back up, it never reaches sea level, it's just like that forever, alright? And on top of that, Joy Boy maybe like jumped into the sky to use that attack, and then the cloud parted and it's because of that awakened nature that one spot on the planet can never be obscured by anything clouds or any sort of artificial cover um, it just won't work okay the sun will always shine down on that one location no matter what okay now there's still a few questions involving this. Like, if my theory of Joy Boy awakening his fruit, jumping up in the sky, and using a massive Kamehameha to punch a hole in the ocean, where did the island come from in that case? Well, here's an idea. Once again, 
if you think about this in the context of not really caring about physics, then it actually does make sense. Let's say there was an island there, and a bunch of the members of the Will of D or the Clan of D were on this island, and they were all fighting this war together. Keep in mind, there's no massive hole in the ocean yet. There's nothing like that. It's just an island in the middle of the ocean that they happen to fight on, okay? Joy Boy wants to use this ultimate attack to wipe out maybe some of the government ships, or maybe one of the ancient weapons, or something like that that was bombarding this island that would later become Eni's Lobby. So he wanted to use a giant attack that would wipe out the enemy, but would keep his friends safe. And in order to do that, he would have to launch an attack that would literally bend around the island and wipe out everything else. Because look at Eni's Lobby, that's what it looks like. Picture like a giant energy blast raining down on the island, just turning and bending around the island itself, keeping that part safe, but the rest of it being completely obliterated, alright? And if there's any fruit that could make that work, it's Luffy's. It was Joy Boy's fruit. It could, you know, you know, start some kind of fireball Kamehameha that, like, bends around the island. I could see it doing that, okay? It makes sense from what we've seen so far and all the wacky stuff Luffy's capable of, alright? So, and because it was an awakened fruit, much in the same way that Punk Hazard is probably going to be stuck as half of a hellscape and half of an arctic wasteland for most of, you know, it might be forever for all we know, and Raijin Island's been like that for centuries, probably, then the same thing with Eni's Lobby. That's the reason it looks like that. It was because that was the mighty battle that took place between Joy Boy, the Clan of D, and the World Government, Ancient Kingdom, Ancient Weapons, back in the day. All right? And that leads into the other question I had. Why did the government build their base of operations or one of their bases of operations in such a weird, precarious location? Because the world government wants to have complete control over everything that, um, you know, was recorded of what happened during history, during the Void Century, okay? So, literally, and both, like, you know, burning books and stuff like that, but also, like, twisting and turning things to fit their own agenda. So, there's a reason why that Eam has that giant straw hat in the basement of Marijuana. Why didn't they just burn it? Why didn't they just destroy it, you know? They want to keep that there, maybe as a record for themselves, okay? Maybe so the future members of the the Goro say, and the future members of the Tenryubito know about what actually happened back then, okay? Like, if you wipe out every last piece of history, that might be detrimental to the future generations of the world government as well, so you gotta keep some records of some things, okay? But they definitely wanna keep tabs on all this stuff, okay? So, here's where this epic battle occurred in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of paradise, and it's like, okay, we have this random island that's floating in the middle of a giant hole, and the sun is constantly shining down on it, people are going to ask questions about that. Why is that a thing, right? And so the world government decided, we need to set up a base there. We need to make that government property. We, mean, we need to make that one of our home bases, okay? And they did. They turned it into the Judiciary Island, a symbolic place where pirates are dragged before the Just Eleven Jurymen and the mighty Judge Baskerville and are sentenced to either be executed or to be imprisoned and impaled down. There is no hope of an appeal. There is no hope of the Just Jurymen uh, deciding that you're not guilty. It is basically theater. It is a show. You are marched through this town, probably pelted with tomatoes by the marines and the families of the world government workers. You are dragged into the courthouse. The Just Eleven jurymen are like, guilty, 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 guilty. And Baskerville's like, 
yes, I do believe you're guilty. How do you feel about that second head? I feel about that pretty good, brother. How about you, third head? I feel pretty good, too. They have names. It's Basker and... No, it's Bass and then it's Kerrville. And then the first one is, the middle one is just named Princess because, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so they decide that you're guilty. And then they just bang down on the gavel. Why don't I own a gavel? I should own a gavel. Anyway, and then they get sent off to Marineford to be executed. Or they get sent off to Impel Down where they'll be imprisoned, you know, ostensibly for the rest of their life. Okay. So you can't think of a place that is more symbolic of just stepping on Joy Boy's memory. Joy Boy. The person that was the original wielder of the sun god fruit, which represented freedom, okay? And in fact, Joy Boy is probably used synonymous with the sun god because they both represented freedom, okay? Freedom in both the way they fight and freedom in also just freeing the slaves and everything like that. So what better way for the government to stamp down on his memory by saying, this is an island that you fought and you gave it your utmost to protect the people you cared about, but Joy Boy still failed because the world government won. They're the ones in charge of everything, right? So Joy Boy ultimately had to fail. And so because of that, they decided, hey, we're going to take this island that you fought to protect and we're going to turn it into our own, our own home turf and we're going to sentence pirates unjustly for the rest of time because that's how the world government rolls, right? There it is, right? That's the idea. At least that's what I thought of when I made the thing yesterday. It's probably a good idea I waited an extra day because now I had a whole video to really talk about that. But yeah, I mean, I could be way off the mark with this, like totally. I'm just like looking at Eni's Lobby and looking at the way it's structured. And a lot of other people, like I said, O'Hara and a bunch of other people on YouTube that talk about this stuff. You know, you got to realize at some point, like there's no way Oda would have created an island this unusual. A government island, nonetheless. That was a central point for a major arc in the story and just never talk about why it's like that, right? But that's also the genius of Oda, where you have an island like Eni's Lobby and how weird it's structured, and the entire arc of Eni's Lobby had nothing to do with that. There was a moment when Frankie first arrived on the island and they opened the gates, and Frankie walked in and he got to see what it looked like, and Frankie's like, there's a freaking hole in the ocean! What, what What's going on here, you know? And everybody's just like, come on, Cuddy Flam! He's like, what? Huh? How are we floating, you know? It was, like, mentioned, I think, occasionally by the characters, but it was never the focus point of the arc. It was never a major part of Eni's Lobby that the island is suspended over a giant hole. It was just accepted as fact, and it was something that Oda could have done that's like, yeah, just keep this in mind. There's a giant hole in the ocean over here with an endless waterfall and an island supported seemingly by anti-gravity devices, and it, it also constantly rains sundown. So, um, yeah, just keep that in the back of your mind. That'll be important later. But for right now, we got to see the Straw Hats fight against CP9, and a glorious arc it was. But... Just keep that in the back of your mind. That island exists, all right? And uh, I'm, I'm sure the government still controls it, even though it was bombed by them, you know, because of the buster call. I guess the logic of the government, because I always question that, too. Like, why was the government so cool with just sending battleships to obliterate Eni's lobby, you know? Like, they receive... The whole buster call system is kind of messed up, if you actually think about it, because it doesn't guard against idiots like Spondum, all right? An idiot like Spondum that just accidentally presses a button and just pressing that button is enough to send a doomsday order to a bunch of marines to bomb an island out of the freaking world. You know, it doesn't matter who's on the island. It doesn't matter who called it. It's just like, click, 
bust your call, send it. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can belay the order. Nothing. It's just bombed into oblivion. Whatever's there is dead, okay? You'd think in that case they would at least have, like, a safety precaution on the golden Denden Mushi. Like, I actually have one back here. Hold on, where is it? Uh, oh, here it is, yeah. Here's the golden Denden Mushi, right? Be very, very careful with this thing, okay? But no, seriously, you think there'd be like a, like a bubble over the button or like a safety switch, like you have to click a safety switch on both sides and the bottom and like twist the eye stocks, like make sure you have to like do like, it's like a puzzle box. You got to do like five or six different things before you can actually properly press the button. I'm not going to press the button, but uh, yeah, you think that now in the movie Stampede, I remember they summoned the Buster Call for that pirate festival, and it was so funny because, like, it, it happens, and it's a big, like, ticking clock in the movie. Like, oh, no, the Buster Call's coming. We gotta defeat Bullet. We gotta get out of here, Luffy. And so it's, like, this intense thing where Luffy's fighting Bullet, and the clock is ticking down, and it's like, oh, man, are we gonna be able to do it? And then Luffy beats Bullet, and I literally think it's, like, right when the ending credits start to roll. Um, somebody goes up to Smoker or somebody talks to him. He's like, you have to cancel the Buster Call order. And it's just like, they do. End of movie. It's like, no, 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 no. What? That was never an option in the manga. That was never an option, all right, for them to just be like, hey, um, we heard there was a report of a Buster Call, uh, from Eni's lobby. Uh, maybe confirm? It's like, yeah, no, don't do that. Oh, okay, I thought that was a little weird that, you know, a buster call was summoned to our island, but alright. I know Spondum didn't want to admit he failed. Uh, I think he actually pinned it on Lucci as the one that summoned it by accident, but you think some other government official would have been like, no, we don't want a buster call. Like, okay, cool. No, that's not how that works, man. That's not how that works. They push the button, they go, okay? So, yeah, it's efficient, if nothing else. Anyway, um, that's the video. That's all I got for you. Um, let me know how you feel about that theory down below. Um, add it to the pile of all the other ideas that any's lobby could involve. But I, I like that one, especially with the new information we got with, with Luffy's fruit and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I guess we can just go into goat facts. This is... This is a dark one. This is actually a really dark installment of Goat Facts. Um, you will see goats in a different light after this Goat Facts. So viewer discretion is advised. Go to the intro. Let's go! Goat! 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 Goat Facts! Yeah! All right. So, um, there is not a species or breed of goat, but a term, a title that is given to certain goats. This title is the Judas Goat. People who know where this is going know where this is going, alright? So, named after Judas Iscariot, who was, you know, infamously the person that betrayed Jesus, you know, for the 30 pieces of silver, sold Jesus out, seen here in the Last Supper. Uh, which one is Judas? Oh, it's this one, right. You know, for the longest time, I thought the dude on the far left was Judas. That's actually Bartholomew. But I thought that was Judas when I was a kid growing up and I heard the, I heard the story. Because he looks like a dude at the end that, like, you know, hates, you know, he's like, hates everything that's happening at the table. He, like, pounds his hands on the table and is like, you! You know, I thought that was Judas. But no, Judas is, is right there kind of in the middle, kind of being squirrely, you know, he's just like, yes, no one suspects me. Anyway, 
as you can imagine, because they have the name the Judas Goat, there's a little bit of a betrayal theme going on here. So they will basically train this one goat to uh, befriend the other goats, or sheep, or cattle, or whatever, whatever animal happens to be involved in this process, and uh, will actually send in the Judas Goat to lead the rest of the livestock up the slaughterhouse chute, where they will be slaughtered and killed, and the Judas Goat gets to live. That's right. Isn't that messed up? Isn't that messed up? Now, to be fair, it's not a practice that's super common in today's world. Uh, it still happens every once in a while in certain locations. It's not, you know, all over the place. But for a long time, that was the accepted practice, okay? So if you got, like, a bunch of cattle or sheep and you're going to send them into the slaughterhouse you know, to be slaughtered, I would assume is what happens in there. You know, if the cattle are getting a little bit like, I don't know about this, man. I don't know about this. I, I don't know if we should go in there. That's where the Judas goat comes in. Like, hey, fellow livestock animals, let's head into this building. Everything should be fun in there. Come on. He's like, well, all right, I'll listen to that goat. And so it just leads the livestock in and then... <laughs> And then the Judas goat just hops out, just like, yeah, job well done. And then they do it again and again and again and again. The blood on these goats, man, the blood on these goats. Now, it's not a practice that is just used with goats, uh, but goats are highly intelligent. You know, they're very much like dogs, and it would be really messed up to use a dog for this. So I guess they just use a goat instead. But there's also Judas steers. So a cow that will lead the other cows into the slaughterhouse and then the Judas steer will go free. You know what you did. Look at him. Look how guilty he looks. Um, but this even leads to another thing that I've actually heard about before, and that's uh, tracking, uh, goat tracking, all right? So are you all familiar, you can Google it if you're not, the Emu Wars of Australia? Look it up. Type in emu wars. I would have done emu facts, but we did elephant facts for the letter E, so we're already past that point. But basically, uh, Australia was, like, overrun with emus. I think this was back, like, it was in the early 20th century. I, I don't remember if it was after or before World War II, but it was somewhere around that area, that time period, where emus were just, like, overflowing the Australian countryside, right? And they were trying to wipe them out, and just every method they tried just failed. Like, you'd think it wouldn't be that hard. It's like a bunch of humans with 20th century technology with vehicles and giant freaking machine guns. Like, da -da 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 -da, just mowing down these emus. You'd think it'd be easy. But no, apparently not. For one thing, if you bring a heavy machine gun or artillery into a flock of emus and just start unloading, you know, they're just going to run away, and they're really fast runners. They're not going to stay in a spot and just let you gun them down, right? So that's a problem. But one, one tactic they actually employed was something similar to this, where they would uh, place, like, radio trackers and equipment on one of the emus, send it back into the forest or in the countryside, and they would track it to where the other emus were located so they could use, like, precision, like, airstrikes or something. Like, yeah, the Judas emu is heading toward, uh, you know, latitude, blah, 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 longitude, blah, 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 drop point alpha 7, you know, uh, convincing airstrike. 
You know, so stuff. I don't know if they actually airstrike the emus, but that's the general premise. They would send an animal that was marked or tracked into the countryside to locate other animals of their kind. This has been done with goats. This has been done with camels, emus, pigs, and raccoon dogs over the years. All right. So, yeah. I mean, that's honestly more of a messed up thing for humans rather than the animals. The animal probably has really no idea what's going on here. Just like, hey, everybody, let's go into this building. And then... It's the only one that comes out, and it's like, oh, they must have gotten lost. All right, whatever. You know, the goat probably doesn't really care too much, but, yeah, it's kind of a messed up practice. Anyway, um, hope you guys enjoyed the video. This will be Teching, signing out. Later, everyone.